Again, we'll be 1 Corinthians chapter 14 this morning, looking at verses 13 through 25. You ever remember like being in PE or gym class and, and, and maybe as a kid and they had you do the thing where you, you stand on one foot and your whole class is stand on one foot and you see who can stand on one foot the longest? You know, maybe you do that at home. I don't know. Maybe you've done that at home with your kids. I don't know. You're getting run out of things to do. Nobody wants to play a 52-card pickup anymore, so we see how long we can stand on one foot. But anyway, I remember that. I remember being in a PE class as a kid and doing that. Boy, you know, you're competitive as a kid. You want to win that thing. You don't, you're not going to win anything, but it, bragging rights, I guess. But uh, <laughs> I remember doing that. I remember I could usually get to the, you know, the final three out of the class if, uh, often. I don't remember if I won or not. But obviously that whole exercise is an exercise in balance, right? It's really about your, uh, keeping yourself balanced. Maybe you're holding your arms out to keep balance. And uh, I think of that word balance in relation to the passage this morning. The, the, the Christian life is a life of balance. And basically what we mean is biblical Christianity is not meant to tin toward extremes, right? Um, <clears throat> we find in the church a lot of times that people can make an idol out of experiences, and they kind of they lean that way. Other groups can make an idol out of knowledge and become uh, preoccupied with uh, uh, facts and figures, and, and both of those things could be looked at as an imbalance, and it, and it pulls people one way or another, and, and what it usually creates is not good. If, you, if you're leaning really into experience or emotionalism, and that's kind of what is emphasized in Christianity for you, then the Christian life is just kind of waiting on that next emotional high, that next spiritual high. Uh, and, it, and it's a thinking that what I feel, that's what trumps everything else. And that we could, you know, you'd say, well, that's not, that doesn't sound very healthy or biblical. On the other side, again, you can go so far into, like, it's, it's just, everything's about knowledge and knowing and getting all your original languages or whatever you're talking about, getting it all down and, and getting so into the minutia that what that can actually bring about is kind of a spiritual deadness at times if it's only just about what you know and there's not an emphasis on, you know, godliness and, and character and, and how do you live life and those kinds of things. And, and again, you, you could probably think out, and, and maybe you know churches or maybe you've seen groups where you could see, yeah, I see maybe we're leaning too far one way or another, and it creates an imbalance. And if that's, if that's how things are taught and presented, that's going to create an imbalance in the people as well. No, the Christian life is one of balance. And I really think when you look at 1 Corinthians, which we've been going through now for some months, you could, kind of, you could kind of use that as a description of what their struggle is. They just go to one extreme to the next. Some of them, were, as we're reading in our context, were so caught up into these supernatural sign gifts that church was just about, you come and it's about the feeling and it's about the emotionalism and it's about the experience. And then they were still treating each other like garbage. And say, well, that doesn't sound very balanced. And yet there was also some in their group that, that uh, held up knowledge and human wisdom as the end all to be all. And he has to correct that tendency as well. And that was creating division. And that wasn't doing them any favors as, uh, either. 
And so there's a balance. The, the God calls us to worship him in spirit and truth. And even that's a very balanced statement. And it speaks to the necessity of that God is always dealing with us in wholeness. He's dealing with the inner man. He's dealing with the mind. He's dealing with the heart. Whatever the terms you want to use, he's dealing with all of us. And, when, and as he deals with all of us, that's where the balance comes in. And we see the balance of the Christian life. So what we're looking for is a life and a worship and a growth in which our spirits are quickened and alive unto God, where the whole heart is engaged in life in Christ. That's all based on the truth of Jesus Christ as found in the Word of God. And it's a life in which the truth of God will excite our spirit, and we can therefore live an abundant life in Christ. We're striving always toward wholeness, toward balance, toward the fullness of who Jesus Christ is. And that could be another word we could use, is the word fullness, the fullness of it. Not just bits, pieces, where we can tend to extremes, but the fullness of what God has for us. And again, I think Paul, he's correcting this in, in so many words. And in our passage again this morning, 1 Corinthians 14, 13-25, he's again dealing with this, this extreme that some had, of the experience of speaking in tongues primarily and making everything about that. And, and he brings out how unbalanced this is, how it's missing the point. It's missing the big picture of what God wants to accomplish. Okay, so that's what we're going to be seeing as we walk through this passage. And we'll first look at this, the idea, basic idea, the importance of understanding. Okay, the importance of understanding what the truth is okay and that's kind of what he's explaining especially in the first few verses of our passage in 13 through 19 so we're going to see the importance of understanding and you see it even come out in his own language uh, where he's again dealing with let's not have an imbalanced approach here let's recognize things for what they are and let's get to what god wants to accomplish in the hearts of each believer So again, verse 13, he says, Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit... How will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at the giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? And we'll just pause in the reading there for a moment again. Again, the problem is they're going wild with speaking in tongues. They're putting putting that at the very top of Christian experience. The pinnacle of Christian uh, life is speaking in tongues when they come together as a church. And, you know, we could... When you think of 1 Corinthians, you always kind of like think of the whole litany, of uh, the whole list of things that they struggled with. You know, they had immorality going on. They had idolatry creeping in. They were suing each other. There was all kinds of nonsense. The Lord's Supper was a mess. Everything was a mess. And Paul, in, on, in one sense, I mean, he's, he's got to deal with the stuff, the messy parts, and say, no, this isn't right. But it should help them have a wake-up call and recognize what they are prizing and how they're approaching the life of Christ is wrong because look at the fruit it's bearing. 
this is not fruitful, what you're doing. And that's kind of what he's saying here, is all this speaking in tongues is really not fruitful. And he's explaining again in this passage that when the church comes together, the main idea is captured in the word edification. Building up each other, encouraging each other, comforting each other, adding something to one another, benefiting one another through the things that are things that are sung, through the prayers, through all of it, through the whole package. The people who come are built up in their faith. They're encouraged in their walk with the Lord. And he says, when all you do is sit around and speak in all these tongues, and it kind of sounds like that's how the how the their church worship service was going, just one after the other. People maybe even shouting over each other, but just all these tongues. And again, in this passage, a lot of times the people even speak in the foreign tongue, the foreign language they were gifted to to be able to speak it. They didn't even know it. They couldn't even interpret it sometimes when they were speaking in a tongue. And so they would just utter this utterance, and nobody, including the speaker, would even know what was really said. But they were saying, "But, but, but the Spirit's doing it. And they were right about that. It was a gift of the Spirit. And so they say, see, we're being spiritual because the Spirit's doing it. And Paul doesn't argue with them. Yeah, it's not, yeah, I agree the Spirit's doing it. But what are you taking away from it? It, it, doesn't, it didn't preclude that they had no control over their worship service and how they were going to approach things. It wasn't like they were out of control. He deals with that later when he calls them to have orderliness to, to when they come together. So they were playing this as like, no, this shows how spiritual we are. And Paul is saying, but what's the outcome? You come together, you leave, so what? What is it doing for you in your Christian life, in your growth? And he gives his own point of view and says, this is how I look at this. If you're going to speak in a tongue, then you should pray that you interpret it so that you can use it to teach, to edify, to exhort, to comfort, that you can add to somebody through it. And then in verse 14, he says, when, even if I pray in a tongue and my spirit is praying, he said, that's a good thing. But he says, my understanding is unfruitful. My understanding is unfruitful. The word for understanding throughout this context is uh, the Greek word noose. That sounds funny, doesn't it? A noose. But, but it means mind in, in the Greek. It's mind. He's saying, I can pray with the, in the spirit, but I also need to engage the mind i need you to be able to have something intelligible you can take away you need to have some nugget of truth that you grasp and therefore you can use and apply and put your faith in if you can't understand what's being said you can't do anything with the truth right it does no good and that's the whole point doesn't do any good so it's about the importance of understanding and the point here is that god engages the whole person that's what's coming out here god engages the whole person Yes, the Spirit's active, but should also have something a person can take away, something they go home with in their mind and in their heart. And when, I, when we talk about this word noose, which means mind, uh, you have to understand that there is some flexibility in the language and there's some synonymous relationships that when he says mind, he doesn't necessarily just mean brain power. He means your inner man. You need to have something you can take away that you can speak to your heart. You could even say it that way. Is anything speaking to your heart that's being said? You'll see that actually come out in the last couple of verses of our passage. 
So again, he says, no, if I just do that, if I just speak in tongues, my understanding is unfruitful. I have not engaged the whole man. I've only dabbled in bits and pieces of what God wants to do, and I'm leaving people with nothing to go home with. I've not really edified them. All I've done is proven a point to myself that I can speak in a tongue. And again, this was about ego and about uh, scoring spiritual points among each other in the church. It was all enveloped in pride. And, of course, we can see he just continues on this train of thought. In verse 15, he says, you know, what is the conclusion? His conclusion is, if I'm going to pray in the Spirit, then there should be understanding in the Spirit. Something should speak to the mind and heart of the person. They should be able to understand it. If if I'm going to pray with... Or excuse me, if I'm going to sing with the Spirit, I will also sing with the understanding. You know, now, in their church, where it was at times where some getting up and praying in a foreign language or even singing in a foreign language nobody else could understand? Could well be. Could well be. But he may be speaking hypothetically that it doesn't really matter what you do with what you're doing. It's not doing any good if people can't understand it. And then the last thing, or the, next in verse 16, he says, <coughs> excuse me, If you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say, Amen, at the giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? You remember what the word Amen even means? We say it all the time as Christians, don't we? It basically means, so be it. It can mean, certainly. It's an expression of agreement. An expression of you saying, I believe that that's true, what you just said. So when somebody does say something, you say amen, you're saying, I agree with that, so be it, certainly true. That's kind of what you're indicating. We understand that. What he's saying, if you speak in a tongue or sing in a tongue or pray in a tongue, and nobody knows what language you're speaking, they're not even going to know when to say amen. (laughs) How can they say amen if they don't even know what you said? How can they voice agreement? It's kind of like, this would be like the Christian version of like smiling and nodding when you don't understand what somebody's saying. You know, you just smile and nod. It's like, oh, amen. <laughs> That's nice. I don't know what he said. You know, you know, we don't want a Christian version of smiling and nodding. We want to be able to have in, something that's intelligible, something we can recognize and discern. Was that true? Right? And that's, that's what he's getting at here. Again, we recognize the Holy Spirit, he's working, he's even working in these people, despite their problems, despite their issues, the Spirit was actively at work in their congregation. And they were proud of that, and they were boasting of that, I'm sure. But again, Paul says, in so many words, but are you engaging the whole person? Are you really speaking to the heart of the person? And if you're not, then what's the point? And that's what we find in Scripture. God engages the whole person. The Bible tells us that you and I, we have three parts, we would say. Spirit, soul, body. That's what we get in Christian teaching. Spirit, soul, and body. Now, that doesn't mean you're a, you're a, a trinity like God. God's three persons in one. That's something different. We're three parts, but we're just one person. We're just one person, right? We're one in person, but we're three in part. And the spirit and soul, those are, of course, uh, made of an immaterial substance. We don't fully even understand what is spirit. You know, we think of spirit, it's something invisible, but it's tangible. God is spirit, so it's something real. 
but we don't fully understand what it is because we do live in a physical world with a physical body. But there is the material and the immaterial. Our spirit and soul are made of the immaterial, but we also have a material body. So we're, we're one in person, but we're two in substance because we are immaterial and material both, both spirit and flesh, you might say. But yet we're three in part because the Bible says there's a difference between spirit and soul and body. And we can, uh, we'll actually give some passages that go along with that idea. But when we understand that and know that, then we get more of the picture of, of uh, you know, what ministry is, what it's supposed to be. We're, we're, we're here to engage spirit, soul, and body. Uh, we're here to speak to the heart in, in, in a variety of ways, and we'll give some ideas of that as we go on. But God always wants to engage the whole person. That's what the Corinthians were failing at, and just appealing to more of a spiritual show. Uh, maybe we could even say they were appealing more to emotionalism and experience in their, in their setting, and that's not going to do anybody any good. <clears throat> but God wants to engage the whole person. You know, and, and, and again, we, I, I think we understand the imbalance that can come in the Christian life. Maybe we've even experienced it at times or experienced it with some teaching we've received over the years or where you feel like maybe we're, we're, we're majoring on only on one side of things and not getting the full picture of what God wants to do. And, you know, I, I, I can think back to my own life. Um, I remember reading the book Classic Christianity. And I'm going to look at Pastor Walgas. He made us read it as a student, and it good, still does. I'm glad he does. We even have that book. It should be back there. But it's funny because it's, it's such a special book because it just espouses the truths of God's grace at work in the believer's life. You know, I heard, I'd heard a lot of grace teaching. I knew a lot about dispensationalism and mid-Acts approach to Scripture. And I knew somewhat of the grace of God, but that book just really dives in, and it just presents systematically the truths of who God is and who he is to the believer and just challenges you to trust in that, to rest in God as who he is and let his grace work in us in a practical and real way. And, and it's interesting because before I had read that book, I knew a lot of things. Like I had a lot of knowledge. I knew a lot of things. But for me, that book... Um, it, it just expanded my understanding and appreciation of God's grace in, in a special, very personal way. It helped those truths come home to my heart and to really change me in another, in a deeper way. And, um, you know, and I just share that little bit of a testimony and how that book impacted me because, you know, that's really what God's after is whatever the teaching is, whatever the gathering is, the idea is the truth of God unlocking the heart of the person, that these truths can come in and be at home within the person's heart, to, to be at home and to be realized and believed in and rested in. And that's what creates a full and complete Christian, is when you're actually trusting in and resting in the truths of God, and it's shaping your life. And, 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 and it's because of the truth of God, that's where the excitement comes from. That's where the, the emotions follow that, is the ideal. That you 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 know and you and you can experience those things like joy and peace and even in a more real way. So again, I, I see Paul. He's trying to shift their understanding to see. No, you need completeness. You can't just rely. You can't just do this and hope the Spirit's going to do something here when you're not doing anything that even engages the whole man. 
And to be honest, I, I can't see that that's actually how the Spirit was leading them. They had shown through the book they weren't really sensitive to the Spirit's leading as all the problems and, and issues they were dealing with would be evidence for. So God wants to engage the whole person. And we'll just add to that in the next point. God wants to grow the whole person. God grows the whole person. Um, let's read 17 and 18 here. He says, For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. There's our word edification coming in again. Verse 18, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. And I'll read verse 19 as well. Yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Again, I don't think these are difficult verses to follow here. But you again see him put the emphasis on, if I'm going to speak, I want to build up. I want edification. I want to teach. And, and, I, and I really like his statement uh, in verse 19 when he you know, uses some hyperbole here. But he says, I'd rather speak five words that you can understand and take something from than 10,000 you can't understand. You know, I mean, think, about, think of the math there. That five words you can understand are far more valuable than 10,000 words you can't. Right? That makes sense, right? And it's just putting the point on it of like, what are you doing for each other when you come together? They were feigning, at least. Well, I guess we wouldn't say feigning, but they were, they were again, their spirit was engaged. Remember, we said man is spirit, soul, and body. Their spirit was engaged to a point. Now, the spirit is just the part of you that makes you conscious to who God is as spirit. Okay? It's, it's, it's through the Spirit that I think God communicates to our spirit and our heart. But your spirit isn't the whole you. You are soul. And the soul is the idea, the part that we generally think, that's the real you. That's the who you are. It's been often said that your soul is your mind and will and emotions. And that's one way we've tried to kind of categorize things to understand it. You know, that's the you. That's the you that you're thinking. That's, that's the immaterial you that's in your body that you're thinking and you're choosing and you're feeling, and it's all happening at that level. The soul, that's the soul. The Corinthians, well, their spirit is engaged because the spirit lives in their spirit. So that's kind, of, that's kind of there already. But where's their soul in this whole part? And that's where we go back to that word noose, the mind, the understanding. And basically, he's saying the spirit's working in you, but you're not letting the spirit affect your soul you're not letting it affect your heart your mind your will your emotions in that way and so again that's where they're falling short and getting probably again kind of encouraging more of an emotionalism type of thing it's first thessalonians five twenty three that says now may the god of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our lord jesus christ there's a clear passage that talks about those three parts of man, but also gives you the idea God cares for each part because he's going to preserve each one blameless. He's going to work on each one and work in and through you from the inside out. And again, what, I, what we bring all this out is it, it just we're not dealing with tongues here like, like they are, right? You're not hearing anybody get up here and speak 10,000 words in a foreign language, right? We've established why. We've established our understanding of why tongues were in existence in the first century church as God was revealing his grace to the world. 
We've talked about that. We'll actually talk about it a little bit more in a moment when we get into the next portion of this passage. But what we want to see, the principles here still speak to us. And this is, a, again, this is a principle of keeping balance, keeping the right perspective of how God works in and through us. And, and you know, you think of how we structure our times together and there's there's differences and nuances and there's individuality at times but when we come together as a church we there's usually always ingredients that we want to incorporate right we want teaching we want the truth of god to be communicated to be transmitted the truth of god to to teach which that helps to work toward that edification to build up you know, I, I just think of the truths, again, we talked about in our adult Sunday school this morning. Those truths that's in God's words that are revolutionary to the Christian life. They're, they're, they're radical to the world. They change you. They do something. They affect you on different levels. But the truth of God needs to be taught. But we also, we sing, right? We sing, and we incorporate music, and we we, we do that because that's another vehicle God uses to speak to the heart of a person. You know, it, music reaches you a little bit different than just dialogue. And God has created music, and he's created that as another vehicle to the person's heart. And, you know, and, and, and just, it affects us differently on a, on a, on a mental basis and, and even an emotional basis, you might say. It's just another vehicle he uses. We pray together. We begin with prayer. We end with prayer. We pray in the middle. We, I don't think you can ever pray too much. <laughs> and we, we, we're showing our dependency upon God, and we're, we're, we're basically yielding our hearts to him. And we're just asking him to come in and lead and to bless and to work. And so even as, even as we do those three things, and we could even add more, we are dealing with all three parts of man, spirit, soul, and body. We're dealing with all that. And then even today we have a fellowship meal, so we really get we really focus on the body a little more. We buffet our bodies, no, <laughs> buffet our bodies, no. But but we eat together, and we we and in that sense we're kind of ministering to another because we're we're feeding each other and we're helping each other on a, on a more physical. But God doesn't segregate the the, the 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 Christian person out into pieces and just say I care about these pieces and not about these pieces. You don't find that in Scripture. I mean, certainly we see an emphasis on the spiritual realities of God wanting to save your soul. And we recognize this physical body is, is going to have to undergo a serious change before it goes to heaven one day. It's going to be resurrected. And the sentence of death is upon it. We understand that. But God's going to ensure that we still have this body. It's just going to be a resurrected body, a glorious body. That's even something we can't probably really wrap our minds around. But when we are in heaven with the Father, we are spirit, soul, body, in wholeness, and perfection, preserved blameless with the Father. And even our ministry today, it really speaks to those three parts, and you're, you're engaging the whole man. And that's where you keep the balance. You, you're not stumbling around. If you only appeal to the intellect all the time, what will that create? If you only appeal to the emotion all the time, what will that create? Right? That's what he's dealing with here on the basis of principles, what I see. God wants to grow the whole person. And I think even as we do church and we, we do this, and whether you've been in other churches or this church, but you see those ingredients. You see that because it, that's, that's how you can get the most edification. 
in a lot of, a lot of times, is when you can incorporate all those different aspects. <clears throat> and don't get me wrong, it's not just church. It's any time two believers are together, there's some exchange of those things. You may be praying together or speaking together. Maybe you're even singing together. And there's other avenues as well. But it's, in the end of the day, it's person to person. And it's the whole person. Spirit, mind, soul, heart, it's all of us. We go on now, and as we get to verses 20 through uh, 23, we, it's kind of fun. We've we got to deal with tongues a little bit more, but you get to see what the outcome can be in a person's life when you're engaging the whole person and seeking to transmit truth in that, with that idea. You can see what can happen. Let's read 20 through 23 again. Brethren, do not be children in understanding, however in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore tongues are for a sign, but to those who be- not to those who believe, but to unbelievers, But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? We'll stop there and we'll read the last two verses a little bit later. But again, the point that I think one of the points Paul's trying to raise is he, he, he keeps bringing up what if people come in and they don't know where you're at? whether they're uninformed, which may be other believers who don't know what's going on, or even uses the word unbelievers. What if this person or this person comes in, they have no idea what you're talking about, and it's all they see is you going on and in some utterance nobody understands. He's, they're going to think you're out of your mind. You know? <laughs> I wonder if we've ever had people come in and think we're out of our mind for different reasons. <laughs> you know? Like, what do they believe? What do they think? Uh, we don't know. But anyway, <clears throat> this one's a little more uh, explicit, this 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 instance of somebody speaking in an unknown tongue and somebody went like, what are they doing here? I, I really think, I, you know, not to, not to be mean or anything, but there are churches out there where I think people go and they have this very experience and they're like, what are these people talking about? You know, I shared some of the times as a kid that I went to some churches and I saw things happen. I saw, you know, supposedly the Spirit was doing this and that, but I didn't understand anything. And I went away more confused than when I came. Right, and I think that goes on in a lot of probably a lot of circles today still to some degree. But anyway, <clears throat> excuse me. The point here, you, you see underneath here the idea: what does God again want to use the church to do? He wants to use the church to teach people, to help believers, unbelievers, to learn about who He is, to grow in who He is, to come to know Him as Savior, obviously, and to grow from there. The church is meant to be the, tr- the, the, the vehicle by which God is going to transmit truth today. And that's our next point. God uses the church to transmit truth. That's a big reason why we're here. You know, hey, you and I, I mean, there's, there'd be differences between each one of us, but by, by and large, we could say our group here, hey, we know who Jesus Christ is. We know he's the Son of God. We've trusted him as a Savior. We've learned a lot of things about him over the years. We've learned a lot of who he, who he is and what he's doing. We, we, we know a lot about what God's doing. Why are we still here? 
Why can't we just go home? We got it. I know it. Let's go home. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go live it up there. Why are we still here in this world, in this life? Because we are the body of Christ. We are his ambassadors. We are here because God now wants to do this miraculous work in each one of us where he makes us more and more like Jesus Christ on a daily basis. And we go out to the world and we share the love of God with others around us. And we transmit the truth of who he is and what he has for people. Yes, it's the Bible. That's the truth contained. But he wants to use his people to take it out. That's the plan. That's the mission. That's the whole idea. God uses the church to transmit truth. We look at the Corinthian example. How were they transmitting truth in this situation? They were not. They were not transmitting anything that anybody could use. That's the problem again. That's the problem. God wants to use the church to transmit truth. When we fail in that, you know, it's a sad thing. And there's all kinds of ways that can make us fail. People get scared of the truth. You get scared of saying what the Bible teaches. Or you can get so caught up into like emotional stuff or whatever where it's never about what it says. It's always about how I feel. Again, you know, you can go down all kinds of different avenues and pathways. But the idea is God wants to use the church to transmit truth. That's why we're here to be his people in the world today. As we look at the passage again a little more closely, verse 20 it's, it's basically an idea that echoes through this epistle. Paul is calling them to maturity. To maturity. He says, do not be children in understanding. Do not be children in, in the truth and what the truth means and how it applies to your life. He says, be a, be a baby in malice. You know, be a baby in wanting to, wanting to be hateful toward others. Be a baby in that. Like, like, like don't have any... Don't grow in that. In other words, don't grow in malice. Grow in God's truth and who he is. Be mature. Something he goes back to 1 Corinthians 3. He said, I couldn't speak to you as spiritual, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. It's something earlier he talks about in chapter 13 about when I became a man, I put away childish things. He's been calling them to maturity throughout this whole book. You're so big on the Spirit of God, what the Spirit of God can do through tongues. Be big on what the Spirit of God does in your heart and how that shapes your life, what that does to you. Major on that. So they can be the people that take it forward, which is where they were ultimately failing. Now he gives a, a word of warning here in verse 21. He goes back and he quotes the book of Isaiah. When he says, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me. He's reaching back to Isaiah chapter 28, 11 and 12, and he's he's quoting that passage to make a point. The point is, God told Israel, if I speak to you in a foreign language, then know that I am judging you. Then know that I am speaking to you because you haven't listened in your own language. That's the principle. <laughs> you, know, you didn't listen to me when I sent the prophets. Now a nation's going to come up. And when Isaiah says it, it's probably the idea because the Assyrians were going to come and take the northern tribes of Israel captive. And then the Babylonians were going to come and take the southern tribes captive. And guess what? The Assyrians and the Babylonians weren't coming speaking Hebrew. They were speaking their languages. And God was saying... If you're not going to listen to me when I speak to you in your tongue, then you're going to have to hear it from somebody else. You're going to hear it from another tongue. You're going to hear it from your, 
the one who I send in judgment of you. There's a principle there. But that also has some other implications beyond that. Because when you first read the events in the book of Acts, and you read about what happened at the Feast of Pentecost, and you see that all those, those Jewish believers at the time who were waiting for Christ to come back as king after he had ascended, and they were still talking about the kingdom of heaven being at hand, still looking for the hope of David's kingdom restored over the whole face of the earth. That's a message the Jewish people had heard over and over and over again while Christ was on the earth. And they heard it in their tongue. At Pentecost, it's interesting because there was all kinds of Jews and proselytes from all over the world who had learned other native languages over time. And then God sent the Spirit upon those, the, the believers in that day, and they were speaking in all these foreign languages that these other people could understand from, from the homelands they now claimed. And it could be that a little bit of this was at work, that God was showing Israel again, you ought to be listening to me. I've sent prophets, I've sent the Messiah, I've sent apostles, and now they're hearing it in the streets of Jerusalem, they're hearing it in all these foreign languages, that this, this verse is kind of at work again. And it's showing that they should have long ago turned to the Messiah and accepted Christ, yet they did not. And it seems like Paul builds this idea that, that now in the church, now through the people of the church in that time, the first century, there's kind of a twofold application for the gift of speaking in tongues. Yes, it's going to help you communicate to foreign, foreign people as you go from land to land. Paul says, I speak in tongues more than you all. He went all over the place, all over the Roman world. And there was all kinds of dialects and things he encountered. And apparently he could speak a lot of them supernaturally. It doesn't, say, it doesn't talk a lot about that in the book of Acts. But this passage here when he says, I can speak in tongues more than you all, it seems to indicate that he did it regularly. But it also served as a sign to Israel. Passage like this that he quotes here would have come up in their mind. God had set aside national Israel. He had established a church, the body of Christ. It was a change. There was a, there was a change taking place. And very interesting, and I've said this before, but the church at Corinth was right next door to the synagogue in Corinth. It was right next door. You can read about it in Acts chapter 18. So the, 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 the church that represented the redeemed of God, Gentiles and Jews at Corinth, they met here. The synagogue was over here. When the synagogue get to, got together... Maybe, I don't know if they were reading the Bible in Hebrew or, or Greek or what they were doing exactly. But they would have been looking at their scriptures and reading it. And I wonder if there wasn't actual days where the people in the synagogue were reading the law, but over here they were hearing people speak in languages and hearing people do things over at the church. I don't know. But, you know, they were next door. Could they hear through the walls? I don't know. It was like a condo or what? I don't know what the situation is. You know, some of you, if you live in condos, you wish those walls were even thicker, right? I don't know how it was. But all I know is they're next door. And every time this group of Gentiles and Jews who know the Lord are doing things that can only be described as the Spirit's work, it's going to be getting the attention of this Jewish people who, these are the kind of things we've read about our whole lives. This is what we hope for. Why are we not getting it? And they'd be learning the lesson that God had set aside Israel to turn to the whole world because Israel, by, by and large, had rejected Jesus Christ and, the, and God's plans and so their time has been postponed. And now God has entered the church age, right? That's our understanding of the sequence of events. So when Paul brings up Isaiah here, 
Part of the reason the church could speak in tongues is it shows Israel they should have been listening a long time ago. Because now they're hearing Gentiles speak in all kinds of languages, truths about God, if they would have listened before. But it's, showing, it's kind of a picture God has set us aside. Now he's speaking to the world, and he's speaking in their tongues. He's not speaking to us in Hebrew anymore. He's speaking to the world in their tongues. It served as a sign against national Israel. You should, you should have trusted the Messiah. It wasn't too late for them on an individual basis. Like any individual could always turn to Christ. But as a nation, that time was postponed. Verse 22, so Paul further reasons, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but unbelievers. He uses that principle in, in, in Isaiah, what our point is. The tongues were meant to show the unbelieving Jews that God is doing something new. It wasn't for the believers. It was, it was, that was not the primary uh, thing here that he's talking about. So he's, he's limiting. He's limiting the impact that tongues could have on those people. And when he says it's more for unbelievers than believers. And I, that, that's a powerful statement. You know, if, 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 we're, if people are wrestling with this today, that's a powerful statement. That, that it was meant for unbelievers more than believers. It was meant to convict people's heart so they might consider... Are we, are, we, are we missing the boat here when Christ was being preached? But right away, he turns it and he says, but prophesying, that's for believers. And he goes back to this other spiritual gift where somebody could be given a word from the Lord. But the point is not so much the supernatural aspect of it. The point is now you can teach something. Now you can say something intelligible. The person can take home in their hearts with them and live it out in their daily life. It's something useful, something beneficial. And he says, that's, what, that's the kind of thing we want to be about, that which is beneficial, that which helps edify the believers. And we'll, the last point we want to make on this passage is that God brings truth home to the heart. That's the goal of church. That's the goal of fellowship. That's the goal of the Christian life, one to another, is so God's truth comes home to our hearts that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith, that we can be filled with the word of Christ, let it dwell in us richly. Those passages, that's what it's talking about. The truth of God being at home in my heart, conforming me to Christ, changing me from the inside out. That's where he's really putting the emphasis on. When we minister in a way that it aids a person, it helps the person. And he, he, he gets into almost an example and you look at verse uh, 24. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever, an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, uh, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. You see the impact that the truth can have on somebody when it's just communicated in a clear way and the Spirit of God's already at work in hearts. God does miraculous things. God works in people's hearts, and that's what this person hypothetically experiences here. A person comes in, he hears something he can understand, and and it it does something in his heart. The Spirit uses it in his heart, and it talks about him being convicted or convinced that that he he comes to a recognition that this God they're talking about is real. This, this, This God wants me. And it talks about in verse 20, Five, the secrets of his heart are revealed. 
through the truth of God, that his heart is just opened up. And that reminds me of what uh, Hebrews 12 says. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, excuse me. It says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's what God's truth does to the human heart. It goes in there and it shows who you are before the Lord, but it shows you who God is, and it, and it, can, make, it can just completely transform the life when we trust in it. And that's what Paul wanted for them, as he gives this idea of like, a guy comes in, if all he hears is tongues, he's going to think you're crazy. But if he comes in, and you're transmitting the truth, and you're speaking to something he can understand, and speaking right to his heart, the Spirit of God's going to use that and bring it home to his heart, convict him, convince him, lead him to Christ, right? Lead him to Christ. That's what God's doing today. That's why... Again, that's why we do the things we do today. That's why we, you know, it, we want the truth of God to do a change. That's what the Spirit's using. The Spirit of God to work in our hearts with the truth of God. All right. I can think back to my own life, and I'll just close with, with this, but you know, sitting under solid biblical preaching. And what I mean by that is, Giving a, I was given a weekly dose of God's truth over, over my teen years. I was in part of a church, and I, would, and I was getting this like weekly dose of God's truth. And, and I did hear the Word of God preached in such a way that it was meant to be lived out. It wasn't just intellectualism or academia or anything like that. It was actually, this is supposed to be life-changing, and, and this is what God wants to be real in your life, to be true in your life. And I can remember as a teen... I can remember incremental changes in my life as the truth spoke to my heart. I would go. I can remember so many times, and it still happens today, but, but, but being a young believer, being a teenager, I remember many times my heart being convicted by the truth of God and being like, oh, ouch, you know, oh, ouch. <laughs> I, that's, that's not what God has for me. And it, and it changed, and I remember my mind, will, and emotions being engaged by the word of God and, and, and knowing in my heart, I need to respect my mom more. I need to treat her better. And that was specifically, I remember going through a change of my relationship with my mother because of how I viewed her, my perspective of her. And God changed that over time through his word. And, 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 it, and that's the spirit. What's what he's doing? He's bringing that truth home to our hearts and we're like this hypothetical guy here in chapter 14. God is truly among you. God is here. God is working. You know, but, it, but it, it's going on in here. That's a lesson for the Corinthians. That's the reminder for us. God's doing his work here. And he's doing it through the truth. And it's up to us to, to trust and rest in it. Father, we do thank you for our time this morning and for your word and the power of it and the power of you who dwell within us in the Spirit and how the Spirit's leading us and guiding us. And may we always be sensitive to your Spirit, Lord, as, you, as he brings the truth of God to bear on our hearts. Lord, we just thank you for your love for us. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat>